I was working in and behind, totally, like I said, unexpected to them. And so they go on, you know, about their, their way. And all of a sudden then in verse 13, if you look down there, you know, it's titled the walk to Emmaus and it says, and then that same day, it says two of Jesus followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. So if you've had the, the opportunity and I, I pray that you have to go to Israel, if you go, you know, out the Eastern gate there into the Kidron Valley, you come to the Garden of Gethsemane and then go up the hill and you're at the, the Mount of Olives. And if you just go over the Mount of Olives, then you will come to uh, this city here. And, and so here's, here's, you know, these two men, they're walking They're about, like I said, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, it says they're talking about everything that had happened. So they're still in shock and, and you need to understand that. If you've ever lost a loved one, and most of us have, you know how surreal those first days can be. Like you're kind of walking in quicksand and everything's kind of in slow motion and, and you're just trying to kind of wrap your mind around everything. And it says in verse 15, it says, and as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. And you think about, you know, what were the things that they were discussing? I mean, they probably were talking about Jesus personally and what he had meant to them, what he had done for them and how he talked and how he was so different, so unique, you know, from every other person, um, you know, and then, and then think, you know, they probably talked about their disappointment in Jesus that they had thought, remember just a week earlier when he rode into Jerusalem on the full of a donkey, that they thought that he was the promised Messiah. And I'm talking past tense, right? They thought that, that he had come to overthrow the Roman government and establish you know, his kingdom, and they would obviously be the ones that would serve with him. And so they're probably talking about, you know, gosh, we, I mean, this is why you don't put your hope in man, you know, things that, that you and I can understand. And again, their hope was that they would find peace, that they would find rest, the very things that they were, they were looking for. They probably talked about how Judas had betrayed Jesus, one of their own. And just the confusion, you know, that, that came from that. And then just how things happen so quickly. I mean, they go to bed and, and make, wake up the next morning and Jesus is arrested and he's on trial. The next thing they look at, he's being beaten. Next thing they know, he's being crucified. And this is just boom, 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 boom. And it makes no sense to them. You know, you go through things in life, even as a believer here today, and, and they don't make sense to you. We live in a world that obviously the longer we live, things are becoming more senseless in the world. And it wasn't much different in, in their day and time for them that were there that day. And verse 16 goes on, it says, but God kept them from recognizing him. It's interesting you know, to me, and I, I think it probably is to you too, that he kept them from recognizing because he wanted to do more in their own heart. He wanted to do something inside of their hearts in a way that would open up their eyes to who he was. Sometimes, you know, maybe you're here today and you've had these moments with God where you've been perplexed about life, you've been hurt, you've been wounded, you've been discouraged, you've been doubtful, you know, whatever the circumstance or the situation might be in you, and you've, you've cried out to God and you feel like God hasn't answered you. But in a sense, there's more questions than there are answers. And yet, you, when you think of this, you know, it says, but God kept them from recognizing them. And, and there's a reason, I believe, behind that, because Jesus knows the future, right? He knows in 40 days from that very moment, he is going to ascend back into heaven 
from right in that general area there, right? And it says in, near Bethany, the Mount of Olives, the same place that Scripture says he's going to return one day. He knows that he's going to depart from them. And so what he's doing with them is exactly what he's done with you and I. He's teaching them how to walk by faith and not by sight. And so I look at this, you know, Romans 10, 17 tells us, so faith comes by hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ Jesus. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by God's word. And so he's helping prepare their heart for what you and I realize and understand and know today. First Peter 1, 8 and 9 goes on, it says, you love him even though you've never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Now, Jesus is drawing out something in them, exactly what he's drawing out in you and I, is learning how to respond to his voice and not the visual picture of him. Verse 16 goes on, says, you know, again, but as he kept them from recognizing them, I think about this in the Greek language, it means to take possession or to lay hold of, okay? And so, again, he supernaturally did this. It wasn't that they couldn't recognize him. You know, many have said, well, they didn't recognize him because you, know, you read, you know, Isaiah, and it says that he was beaten beyond recognition, that we wouldn't even have recognized him. But Scripture answers it is that God himself kept them from recognizing. It wasn't that they couldn't, but God had done that. And, and that tells me something. There's something in all of our lives that God keeps back and, and keeps us from recognizing things until the time that he desires to fulfill that uh, in our lives. And so it's important because not all of us, we went around today, you know, here in the sanctuary, we've all come to him at different places at different times in life. Some, you know, younger, some older, some during high points in your life, some at the very lowest of low points. And what that demonstrates to me is the very thing that I hope that you leave with today, that, that there is hope in the most unexpected places. I mean, the greatest work that Jesus does is on the highways and byways of life. I mean, you think about, you know, I shared this, you know, the sunrise service. That's always fascinating to me when we go to Israel and we're there at the garden tomb, right? We're in Israel, right? And we're at the garden tomb and it's lined up with, with pilgrims, what we call, you know, Christians, right? And we, we pay thousands of dollars and we go to Jerusalem and we go into the empty tomb. And what do we do? We look in and we come out and everybody goes, yes, yes. And you have our Jewish friends are looking and they're going, we could have told you that it's empty. We could have told you that he's not there. You could have saved the money and we could have, you know, we have technology. We could have done a video and just sent it. But you go, but the beauty of Easter is, is not the fact that he's not there. This is what I think many of us miss. The reason that we celebrate Easter is, is not just because the tomb is empty and we say, well, he's alive, he's risen, but then we think about where is he? Well, the Bible makes perfectly clear. Where is he? He's here. He's here in this place. As, as I shared this morning, wherever two or three are gathered in his name, Scripture says he's there in the midst of us. And, and, and this is what you know, Mary couldn't have understood, you know, there, as, as I shared this morning, you know, in, in, in Luke's gospel, she's there holding on to Jesus' feet. And, and, and Jesus says to Mary, he says, Mary, you know, you can't cling to me. And it's not that she couldn't have held on to 
his ankles. It was that what he was telling her is that you're seeing me as a man. You're limiting the blessing that I want to be in your life. Yes, I'm risen from, from the dead, but there's a greater revelation that awaits you because of all the things that the reason she didn't want to let go was what? Because she loved Jesus, because of what Jesus had done for her. And she had been sorrowful. She came there, like I said, to, to prepare his body for death, for, for the grave. And here's Jesus alive. And, and, and you know, and like I said, you, you could imagine her holding on to him and going, you know, Jesus, I, I, I lost you once, but I'm, I, I won't lose you again. And, and Jesus is going, Mary, you can't lose me. I'm risen. And, and yet it's our limited thinking. And, and we do the same thing. We, we watch things that happen in life and we wonder, God, where are you in all this? And, and he remind us as he would remind Mary, that he would remind the disciples that day, he's here, he's in this place, he's with you. He's fulfilling his word when he declared, you know, we, we share this, you know, we say, oh, you know, go into all the world, make disciples of all, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching people all about what Jesus said. And then forgetting the very last thing that he said. He said, and lo, what? I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, why is that? Because of Easter. It's not, and it wasn't just that he was raised from the dead, because why didn't that change everything? Well, the Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet. Jesus was going to ascend back to heaven 40 days from Easter. And then he said, in a few days after that, in the book of Acts, what would happen? The Holy Spirit would come. That very comfort, think about this, the very comfort that that Mary was finding by wrapping her arms around Jesus' feet, Jesus is going, Mary, you can know that in a deeper way. Because when the parakletos comes, and we think in the Greek language, what does that mean? Comforter. He won't just be with you. Where will the comforter be? He'll be in you. Yeah. And wherever you go from that moment on, he will be with you. And that's one of the, the hopes that I, that I, with everything that's in me, that I pray that you understand and know today, like maybe never before in your life, is that God is with you. We live in a world that's getting crazier by the day. And if there's anything that we need to know and we need to understand is that God is with you. And greater is he who what? Is in you than he who is in this world. That's what transformed the disciples. It wasn't the fact of just the resurrection, because look what happens in this. They're, they're, I mean, beside themselves. They still haven't, you know, figured anything out yet. And Jesus is raised from the dead. This is the third day. This is what we call Easter, right? But what, what a difference. Look in verse 17, it says, and he asked them, it says, what are you discussing? Did Jesus need, did he need to ask them? No, it says, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? It says, and they stopped short, sadness written across their faces. And I love how Jesus begins with a question before he offers a solution. Because what does he do? He's allowing them to get the sorrow out. He's allowing them to, to share you know, the hurt that's going on within him. If there's anything I can tell you today is that you have a God that listens. People might not listen to you. They might not want to hear your, your heartaches, but God does. Matter of fact, Scripture takes it even further than that. Do you realize the psalmist declared that God takes your tears and he puts them in a bottle? He collects them as worship unto himself. That, that's how much he loves you. I mean, I, I know a lot of moms, you collect all kinds of stuff that your kids, I mean, you know, I see things on, you know, social media and, you know, you have lint from your, 
child's clothes in the dryer and you put it in a jar and you're going to give it to them when they're 18, you know? But I mean, to think their tears, I mean, you talk about the love that Jesus has for me and you. And so he makes this, you know, so clear. And verse 18 goes on and says, and then one of them, Cleopas, says, he replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem. Now, here's a guy who's hurting, right? And, and have you ever talked to somebody who's hurting and they get a little short with you? You know, maybe a little cynical or maybe a little sarcastic. And you can kind of see this in, in this language here that he's hurting. He's like, and then he's saying to Jesus, not knowing it's Jesus, he says, oh, are you, are you the only person in Jerusalem that hasn't heard about the things that have happened here in the last few days? He's like, you know, not that he would say this, but the thought you'll understand is like, are you stupid? You know, I mean, calling God, you know, I mean, in a sense, that's really what he's doing here. And yet, what is Jesus doing? He's drawing, he's drawing out from them the frustrations, the hurt, the sorrow, the pain. Look there in verses 19 and 20, and it says, what things? Jesus didn't stop there. What things? It says, Jesus asked. It says, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet. Look at there. Everything is past tense to them. Everything's past tense. It says, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But, but, there's the big but, our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. Wow. And what happened? What I love about this is it, it reveals something about Jesus. I don't know if you've really thought about this before. In the book of Malachi, in chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. And in his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought, about the honor of his name. What is he doing? He'll do the same thing in your life as he will in mine. He allows us to go through circumstance and situation because it gives us opportunity to magnify and glorify him. Like I said, it's, sometimes it's easy to praise God when everything's going my way, but you saw so much in worship today that even when things are difficult and when things are hard, I will still praise him because what? He is worthy to be praised. And so here's Jesus, you know, drawing this out of them. And like I said, he doesn't just listen to your words. He listens to your heart. Sometimes, you know, it, it, we get crossed up in the things that, you know, we want to say and really how we feel. But you can understand today that you have a God who doesn't just hear you, but he knows you and he loves you and he cares about you. Like I said, your hurts, you know, your hangups, you know, your habits, all those things. He knows everything, and he's committed to you. Verse 21 goes on, it says, and we had hoped, again, past tense, right? The Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. It says, then some of the women from our group of his followers were at the tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said that his body was missing. They said that he, they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive, and some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone just as the women said. And, but what are they saying? Our hope is gone. Their, every hope that they had was, was past tense. We hoped that he'd come to rescue Israel. We, you know, they had high hopes, you could say. They had high expectations. But this to them all happened what? In the past. And I don't know, you know your circumstance, your situation, where you're at with the Lord. I don't know if you see him in the present tense of your life, that 
He's here. No matter what you're going through today, God is in the midst of it. Or if you're looking back and going, I remember how it used to be and how good it was and da 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 I can only tell you this. God understands. He knows. And he cares. Verse 25 goes on. It says, then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. And see, we could read this and we go, see, that's what Jesus does. I mean, my heart's broken. I don't understand. He calls me a fool, just like everybody else. So this is why it's important to know the Greek language, okay? When it talks about this and this, it says, then he said to you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Again, he's, he's not saying you fool like I might say you fool or you might call someone else a fool. What he's talking about is it, it's like, as the psalmist declared, as a father has pity on his children. So the Lord has pity upon us. Whereas kids, he's like, oh, it's like, oh, that's, that's foolish. There, there's, there's, there, understand this. Go back to Matthew 11. Jesus said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, you, when you're wore out from life, not tired because of physically being tired, but tired of religion, religiosity, tired of self-performance, trying to live up to some self-made standard or some standard that, you know, religion has placed upon you. Jesus going, you know, I understand you. I know you and I'm compassionate and I'm caring. And I'm humble and I will listen. And, I, and, he, and Jesus is explaining this about himself. Okay. This isn't me trying to go. This is Jesus going, let me tell you about who I am, you know? And so it's important, you know, that we see that there. You know, like I said, Psalm 103, 13 and 14 puts it like this, says, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, for he knows how weak we are and he remembers that we are only dust. Yeah. Jesus goes on to say, verse 26, he says, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining all the scriptures of the things concerning himself. Man, wouldn't you have liked to have been in that Bible study? Everything, you know, I don't even have time to walk you all through it, but to walk you through Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, I mean, you think, and then to jump into the Psalms and take you through all the Messianic Psalms, then to walk through every one of the prophets and explain how every book of the Bible is all about Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And then to wrap it up, taking it into the New Testament helping them to see that he was the Lamb of God, like John said, who came to take away the sins of the world and that no one took his life from him, even as hard as that would be for them to understand, but that he laid his life down for them that he might take it up again, that he who is dead is alive and he's alive forevermore. And all of a sudden, what it says, he opened their mind to that truth. And what did it do? It changed their lives forever. What is it? Faith comes by what? Hearing, and hearing comes by what? The Word of God. Yeah. How do you help your unbelief? By getting into the Word of God. Letting the Word of God get into you. Let the Word of God dwell richly within you and watch what Jesus does. Verse 28 and 29 goes on. It says, by this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. I love this. It says, and Jesus acted as if he were going on. Like he was just going to keep walking. I mean, he's got a sense of humor there. It's like, you know, it's, it's, he's, this is Easter Sunday. He's out in the country somewhere, right? And he's just going to continue walking. But it says, but then they, it says they looked and it says, and they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. And, and I love this because really, maybe that's what he's waiting for today. 
an invitation. You know, Revelation you know, 3.20 says, look, I stand at the door and I knock. It says, if you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Maybe you're here today and you've never received Christ as Savior and Lord. I can tell you this, this I do know. He's standing at the door of your heart. And just like these two, these two men on the road to Emmaus, he's waiting for you to extend an invitation. He's gentle and lowly of heart. He doesn't force his way into your life. Love is what the Bible tells us, patient patient. He's waiting. He knows you're hurting today. He knows you're confused. He knows that you need help. He didn't come to judge you. He came to save you. But he won't force his way in. You have to open the door. And I get that. You know, people can go, okay, well, you know, but Mike, I've already, I've already opened the door. And you go, yeah, then you work from the inside out, right? You look at a, does a house have many rooms? You go, yeah. You go, does he have full access? Does he have full access to every room in your house? You go, there's some places, areas of your life, you know, where you, you let him into your Sunday church life, you know, but do you let him into your Monday work life or do you let him into your hobbies? Do you let him into all those other areas of your life? And, and only you can answer that. But I know that, like I said, if I lived a, a thousand lifetimes, I couldn't scratch the depth of God's love. And to go deeper into a relationship with God is what he has always desired. He always is calling us to go further and further and further. And so sometimes I think we cheapen it and think that salvation is only this one-time event. Now, we only get saved one time. Once and for all, that's the beauty of it. You know, not every time that you fail or sin do you have to get saved all over again. No, Jesus died once and for all. Amen. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of works which any man can boast. It is a gift from God and you receive it. But I also understand, and it becomes a fearful thing, is that the Bible tells us that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. You can say, well, I, I like Jesus as the Savior, you know, of my life, but I don't really have him as the Lord of my life. And Jesus made it perfectly clear. We studied this last week. He's either Lord overall or he's not Lord at all. Jesus said, if a person desires to come after me to, to be a follower of Christ, to be a disciple of Jesus, he said, there, there, it comes with a preacquisition, right? Is what? First, you got to recognize your need, right? And then you do what? You deny yourself and then pick up your cross and you follow him. And he says, then you do that what? Daily. Coming back to him daily. And so I know today, you know, on Easter morning as I read this, and these are all disciples and, and they don't have full revelation of all that God has for them. Nor do I believe that I have full revelation. I, I love Jesus more today than I, I did when I first knew him. I think I know him a little bit better. But it's like telling my wife, you know, go, Lee, I, I love you more than yesterday, but not as much as tomorrow. It's the same with Jesus, amen? The more we understand him, the more we will want to know him, and the more we will want to surrender to him. So all I can do is invite you 
to do what God is inviting you to do himself. And that is to go deeper, is to go beyond the veil. Like I said, before Easter, think about this. I mean, everything about religion was, was stay away or die. If you went to the, the courts of the, you know, and you went to the temple, the, the, the Gentiles couldn't go any further than the court of the Gentiles. And write the inscription, you can go to Israel and you can see it to this very day, that if a Gentile went beyond the court of the Gentiles, it said right on the stone, etched in stone, that it was worthy of death. You could be killed. And this was a church. You could be killed for going beyond the veil. The, the holy place, again, when Jesus died on the cross, what does Scripture tell us? That the veil of the temple was torn from what? From bottom to top, like guys went in and tore it? It says, no, from top to bottom, as God himself tore that veil that separated the holy place from what? The most holy place. Prior to that very moment in time, you that study the Old Testament, Levitical law, you go, what would take place if that priest wasn't consecrated and went beyond the veil? Scripture says they'd die. Yeah. And, and he can only go, what, once a year, right? And now because of Jesus, there's an invitation to what? To come boldly before his throne of grace when? Any time that you have need. The question that begs to be asked today in my life and yours is, do you recognize your need? Do you recognize your need for Jesus? Or was it a prayer a long time ago that we prayed? We, oh, Lord, you know, yeah, I, I pray. Thank you that I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. But in one sense, you know, uh, and I know we were some kids in there, you go, I'm living like hell now. He wants to save us from that. And so I, I think, you know, today, you know, on Easter, I am so thankful for the cross. I am so thankful for Easter. I'm so thankful for the day of Pentecost that was still yet to occur, but not for us. It's already happened. He's here in this place today that you would know that the tomb is empty, that your sins have been forgiven, and that you can enjoy a personal, deep, satisfying relationship with God. But you have to decide, like I have to decide, is there anything that's keeping me you know, from Jesus? And then to know that there's hope in the most unexpected places. I don't know what brought you here today, other than the fact that I know that God wants you here and that he wants more for you than you even want for yourself. And we'd say, oh, I want the best for you. But he had proved it by giving his very life. And so as we, you know, I just, you know, prepare to close, you know, this service, I, I just want to remind you, you know, Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And it was so amazing in that moment, in verse 30 and 31 there, it says, and as they sat down to eat, they invited Jesus, you know, to stay the night, right? It says he took bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it and he gave it to them. And suddenly it says their eyes were open and they recognized him. And then it says, and at that moment he disappeared. He disappeared. Why? He took him back to that very table on the very night that he was betrayed, right? The last supper. And he sat with the disciples and he said, you know, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Take this cup. This cup represents my blood, which is shed for you. And it was that moment that they made the connection that Jesus, who had died, was now risen. And what a difference that made in their life. Easter changes everything. Jesus changes everything. I want to invite you before we go, if you're here today 
and you have never opened your heart to Jesus, is don't miss this opportunity. I don't know when you're going to meet God. You might say, well, I'm just thinking about it. And you go, you know what? People die every day. Um, I shared this, you know, on Friday, Good Friday. My sister-in-law is 59 years old, you know, went home to be with the Lord, just went into the hospital, thought we were taking her home. Boom. She was gone that night. My next door neighbor, who I just brought down to the church to show him where the church was so he could come to her memorial service the next day. Boom. He passes away. I'm doing a memorial service this this Friday for a young man in the Air Force, 21 years old, goes to sleep, doesn't wake up. It doesn't, death is not a respecter of persons, but I do know this. It's appointed in a man to die and then face judgment. Jesus came to take my sin and your sin in his body on a cross so that we could go free. There's freedom in Jesus, amen? I don't want you to miss it. I'm going to invite the worship team. They're going to come back up and they're going to sing a song. And while they're singing this song, there's really, really two groups, you know, when I think about in a moment like this. There's those, like I said, that maybe you haven't ever opened your heart to Jesus. You've come to church. But you know today that he's knocking at the door of your heart. He's going, I want you to give up. I want you to surrender. I want you to give me your life because I want to give you my life. He wants to fill you with his spirit so that you can know the security, that you can know the hope, you can know the joy, you can know the love. And if you've never made that decision, some of our ministry team will be right up here while this song is being played. I want to invite you to get up out of your seat and come down here. And, and people go, well, why is that important? And you go, this is why it's important, because there's an enemy of your soul who will challenge you like he does every believer every single day that you, you don't love Jesus. You've never gone public. You've never said anything. He said, Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. You don't really even know what that means. But you go, I just try to keep my faith to myself. And the enemy just beat you with that. Well, going public, obviously, in our minds, we don't, God doesn't need the proof. I need the proof in my own life. You need the proof in your life. Going public, as Scripture says in the book of Revelation, we overcome the accuser by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. See, when you come forward in a moment like this and you go, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, then all of a sudden the enemy goes, well, you never weren't serious. And you go, well, I went forward on, on April, what's today, the 9th? April the 9th, 2023, at 11.39, I, I went forward. That, that's a marked day in history. He can't take that from you. But he can take your thought, well, you know, you weren't really serious. You, okay, you, you prayed that prayer a hundred times. But there's something about making a stand and taking that walk. And then for those of us, like I said, that have known the Lord, you would know today. You go, am I moving forward in my, my journey of faith? Am I stagnant? You know, am I moving backwards? It doesn't matter. There's an invitation to what? To come home to come to him, to turn, to repent, and to turn to God and be refreshed. That's his desire, is to fill us. We sang you know, in worship day of drinking of what? That living water. And you know as well as I do, he who drinks the water in this world, not only is it getting worse every year, you know, but it makes you thirsty. But Jesus said, but the water that I give, the water of life, it's satisfied, and you'll never thirst again. If this world is leaving you dissatisfied, 
There's things that you're struggling with, things that you're going through. Can't think of a better day to turn back to God and to come home. And we'd love to pray with you, love to pray for you. So I'm going to invite you. We're going to turn the lights down on this. And if, if you're here and you need Jesus today, you're sick, you need help, you need hope, you're hurting, you're discouraged, whatever it is that you're going through, let Easter be that place where you found hope. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege, for the opportunity we have to worship you, to watch you move in our midst. We do believe in faith. That's the beauty of Easter is to be able to celebrate that you're here and wherever two or three are gathered in your name, that there you are in the midst of thee. I believe in faith, Lord, that you are tugging on people's hearts today. Those that, Lord, maybe haven't received you as Savior and Lord. And if they're here, God, that you would draw them to yourself as we have lifted you up and we continue to lift you up. And for those that are hurting today that need hope, that they would find in the most unexpected place here at an altar in a church in Bakersfield, that God, you're here. You are the risen Savior. You are the living Lord. And so, Lord, we invite you, God, to move in the hearts of your people, that you would encourage each and every heart here today. And as we go from this place, that you'd remind us that, again, you are so faithful that you who began the good work are faithful to complete it. You don't leave us halfway. You don't leave us undone. And that's why we love you, Lord. Thank you that you're so patient. You're so kind, so loving, so good. Be glorified, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.